welcome to another episode of Exploration Radio. I am your host Amad. Today's episode is on a topic that a lot of people are interested in, real-time data and analytics in mining, which if we are honest with ourselves, is a major component of the impending digitalization of mining. Right now, a lot of the processes in mining suffer from a time lag between when the data is collected to when it is delivered to the end user for them to do something with it. Whether that is to make interpretations or gain insights or even just to make effective decisions with all of the data at hand. Maybe one of the reasons for the slow decision making process in mining, particularly involving technical decision making, is because of this time lag in some of our most critical technical data streams. Take for example drilling. The only real way we have to get critical information about our ore bodies is to drill those ore bodies. But drilling is a classic example of the time lag we have in mining. Often you are waiting anywhere from weeks to months from the date that you start a drill hole to when you have all of the relevant data at hand. So what can we do about this data time lag? In some of our upcoming episodes, we'll talk to a few service providers who have products that can help us reduce this data time lag. Most of these companies have created products that tackle the issue of the time lag in drilling. It makes sense, right? As a lot of the critical information behind understanding what type of ore bodies we're looking at and how best to effectively mine them only really comes from drilling. In this episode, we talk to Core from DataCloud, a company that is providing real-time rock measurements while drilling to its customers, a technology they adapted from the oil and gas industry to mining. Let's have a listen to our interview with Core. All right, Thor, welcome to Exploration Radio. Yeah, thanks, Ahmed. Nice to be here. So I guess the reason why we wanted to talk to you is you guys as a service provider, the product that you have is built around real-time analysis of an ore body. And I guess you're one of the few service providers that are playing in the space of real-time sensors and, and providing real-time data to uh, mining companies or mining operations. So that's kind of what the discussion that we wanted to get in with you today. Okay, no, sounds great. You're happy to opine on those topics. So let's start off with a little bit of background about Data Cloud. So do you mind telling us a little bit about the company and then we'll dig into the product a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So Data Cloud is about uh, three years old, uh, startup based on the West Coast of the United States, mainly in Palo Alto, Silicon Valley. A lot of our background is oil and gas. We spent about our first kind of six months to a year pursuing, um, looking at opportunities to help clients drill oil and gas wells more effectively. Um, okay. What happened to us is about two years ago, we realized that in mining, they don't really do real-time geoscience, um, which was a, a big surprise to us because it was kind of standard fare in oil and gas. So after looking at that opportunity for a little bit, we decided to do a full pivot into mining, which right now is all we do. We don't do anything in oil and gas. And the solution that we've developed is largely to take oil and gas rock evaluation techniques and apply them to mining in a drill and blast environment at a, at a tempo and a price that the industry will adopt it. Okay, so you started, your roots are in oil and gas. Why did you decide to move to mining? It just looked to us like a huge opportunity to be able to provide this, that we feel, you know, there's a lot of work to do, but but we think over time, this will be on every drill in the industry. One of the other things that really caused us to flip over, it was really two things. It was just the realization that this is inevitable and it will come and it, and it should be here. We liked our odds of being the ones to do it. Mm-hmm. But the second big thing was, um, and we got kind of lucky with this, was, you know, technology, just sort of right place at the right time that with these rather cost-effective IoT sensors and edge computing device and cloud computing that now you could 
modify these rock evaluation techniques from oil and gas and make them work at an economic profile that'll work for the mining industry. Five, 10 years ago, you couldn't have done it because these IoT yep. and you know, cloud technologies were not available. And it's a, it's a critical part of how we deliver our solution. These technologies are quite commonplace in oil and gas. Is it fair to say that you know, the point you made is that they're now at a point where they're cost effective for mining and that's why the transition's occurring rather than, you know, it's not that mining didn't see the value in this earlier. It's just that it's now at a cost point that works for the industry. That, that, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, it was, um, it, you know, in oil and gas, you can show up, you drill a deep water well, and, you know, that can cost you $100 million. And that'll, you know, you spend you know, millions of dollars logging the reservoir over how many months. Um, clearly, you can't do that in a mining operation for, you know, drill and blast when they're drilling, you know, on some of these auto drills in yep. the Pilbara that we've done some work on, they drill 50, 70 you know, plus blast holes in a day on a drill. So you can't take three months and charge millions of dollars to deliver the, the rock mass characterization data in, in that sort of tempo where, where you can in a deep water offshore oil and gas environment. So it was the evolution of these technologies that rather than having million dollar logging tools, you can have you know, tools that cost a few, few thousand dollars to go out and then log the rock mass for mining companies. Yeah, okay. Is there a component of the fact that you know your competitive advantage to moving to mining is that you probably don't have to develop a lot of the tools because you're taking, I guess, technology that's already built, but it's more a question of adapting it to a new use rather than developing new tools. Would that be fair to say? It, it is. Yeah, I would. Um, I'd kind of segment it into three parts. You just the physics of the the rock evaluation is pretty yep. well understood from our backgrounds in oil and gas. The second part of it was the advent of these you know IoT and cloud computing technologies. Mm -hmm. That that's kind of the lucky right place, right time for us. The third part of it is I think the industry is ready for it now you know there's a joke that the foremost painful words are are this time is different you know but I, yeah, but i really think right. that you know this time is different that there's the awareness in the mining industry that with these technology advances that this stuff will become commonplace over time so you know we got kind of lucky right place right time with this but i like our odds of being the ones that can really deliver a scalable solution to the industry because we've got the background know-how to do it from a part of the part of the world silicon valley where it's you know all about go fast 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 so we definitely yep. have that sort of you know tempo in our our DNA. So we've been doing a lot of these projects to show customers that uh, it, it works. And yep. as those have been all successful, we're um, steadily moving up the value chain for them. So uh, how did it start? Was it that people in the industry came to you or did you guys realize that there was an opportunity? How did that uh, yeah, come about? It was kind of the industry came to us. Um, you know, to give credit where it's due, we had some contacts with Orica Mining Services, you know, large explosives provider based down here in Australia. And yep. um, some of us all knew each other from previous lives. And, and they came and talked to us during that first year of Data Cloud when we were looking at focusing on oil and gas. And they'd been in the mining industry for a bit. And this is, you know, basically, you know, people don't really do, you know, this real-time rock evaluation. And, and that was our first notification that there was a gaping hole in the industry yeah. for, um, that the need was there. So, um, yeah, credit where it's due. It really came from Orca approached us with a market need for something like this. We looked at it and decided to pivot and, uh, you know, completely became a mining company. Can we talk a little bit about the product that you guys have? Because I sure. think that's quite an interesting part as well. You know, a lot of people in mining are having the discussion that having real-time analysis or real-time data will allow them to run operations better. And, um, and I think you guys are probably one of the few that are really addressing the problem of real-time analysis of the ore body through when you're drilling. Because historically, we've always had it, you drill and then you wait you know, X number of weeks or some time, there's always a lag time before you get that data and then you can make decisions. 
And I guess what seems interesting about the stuff that you guys are doing is that it's going to allow or potentially allow real-time decision-making. Is, is that yeah, the, the real great, purpose of the product? Yeah, great, great summary of it. That's really where we, we look at you know, the biggest value that we can provide is this, this real-time, high-resolution rock mass knowledge that then mining companies can then take that and make changes to their operations to improve productivity, production, lower costs, et, et, et cetera. And what the solution does is it's really in two parts. Our business model is we're, uh, we provide the measurement platform as a service. So we mm-hmm. you know, charge a client X for a period of time to instrument how many drills. And what we do with that then is for instrumenting the drills, the two parts of the solution is we have a we have a hardware component that yep. goes on the drills. And those are um, that's an IoT sensor that lives on the drill steel that measures properties in the steel when you're drilling blast holes. That IoT device connects wirelessly to an edge device that sits in the in the driller's cab. And then in that on that edge device, we perform some initial math and then the data gets compressed and streamed. So that that's the hardware solution, IoT plus edge, and then it streams off of the edge device. So we do need to be in a connected mine to do this in real time. Um, 3G, Wi-Fi, it doesn't matter, but just some sort of connectivity to get the real-time information. So that hardware component, that then streams the data, gets up into the cloud. We're a Microsoft partner company. We do a lot of this in conjunction with Microsoft. The data then winds up up on Azure, which is Microsoft's cloud. And then on the cloud is where we really provide the computational heavy lifting, machine learning and such to be able to take that blast hole data that we measure and then infill between the blast holes uh, to ramp up just a bunch of distributed computing resources, which you, you can clearly do in the cloud. And then from that, we give the client a very high resolution image of what the ore body looks like, ore waste boundaries, fractures, hardness, this sort of information. They can access that in our software. What we usually see that clients want to do is that we put that right into their block models. Okay. So that's where they consume the data most effectively because their operations are all you know built around these block models. That's so, right. Yeah. That's what the mining plans on, so that makes sense. Yeah. So we basically, you know, we'll show up, you know, put sensors on the drills, um, flip the switch, those start streaming the information when you're drilling, goes up into our tenant account up on Azure. We do the really uh, you know heavy lifting math and then send it right into their block model. So what they get is rather than on some of these block models, they're like you know 10 meters by 10 meters by mm-hmm. 10 meters or you know it's a pretty you know, coarse block. So inside of that block model, then we can have you know, centimeter level resolution. So it's quite a contrast in, in what we can show about the granularity of the subsurface compared to what they currently have. So it does seem like you have to cater the product to the person that is ultimately going to be using it. Like you said, you have data that goes to the cabin on the drilling rig that the driller uses, but then you also have data that will go out and be used by possibly a resource geologist, but then also by perhaps management as well? So do you have to address the different needs of the person inevitably using the data? We do. And how we approach that is before showing up on location, there's this, you know, we get some information for, you know, what their operations look like. Part of that is, you know, what the drills are. Are they DTH drills, rotary drills? This sort of stuff matters to us. That allows us to outfit the hardware to get the hardware configured correctly. How are we going to stream? Is it cellular connections? Is there in-pit Wi-Fi? So then we get everything configured to work in whatever the in-pit environment is for a client. Then the other thing also is our solution is kind of based on geology, where if it's an iron ore mine, they need to know certain things about the rock mass. If it's metallurgical coal, it's it's other things, base metals, etc. So we go through this kind of setup process of client, what do you want to know? What do your drills look like? We get things configured. And then what we typically have been doing is we would show up and do initially a proof of concept project. Mm -hmm. We're getting past those now where we're going right into full deployment. But 
but um, we show up and then for a period of time, usually on a drill or two, they'll want to see it, which is a, you know, a completely reasonable request for new technology. So we show yep. them that, you know, this works for a period of time, they like it, then on to other drills. Okay. Are you surprised by the approach that the industry takes to using technology? I guess you mentioned that, you know, you have to do kind of a pilot study essentially and then go. Is that a common requirement for you to then get to clients or engage with clients? It has been. Initially, that was a request. We, we feel that sales cycles are largely compressing on the backs of technical success. We've had some clients who've been great who've signed marketing releases with us to allow us to anonymize and share their data. So mm-hmm. it really helps us to approach a new client, uh, your iron ore mine, we've done this elsewhere, these are the results. So it really accelerates the discussion from you know early days when we were just starting and showing up with no real data sets to be able to show people. So that's helped a lot to compress the healthy skepticism about new technology that, that exists in the industry. One of the other things that we've noticed, and we understand this, it's just, it's generally slow to get new technology out on the mine. There's, you know, rightfully so, there's a lot of safety precautions, lockout, tagout things with drills, it's huge, heavy equipment, people can get hurt. So there's a a very well-warranted safety component that we address out there too. So let me backtrack a bit. Are you able to fit in with, say, existing workflows on MindSize, or do you require them to change the workflow in some manner? We do. We fit in very seamlessly with existing workflows. And it's a great question. I should have uh, maybe addressed this one earlier, but it was one of our initial design principles is that we can't ask them to do new things on location because it is problematic to change things and you know, so we, when we develop the sensor, it's very much set and forget. So we put it on the drill and we leave and we don't require people to be on location for this. So, yep. and then that also led us to eventually figure out that we should be putting this information right into their block model. So then they can consume it more effectively there. So there's a big movement afoot in the industry, you know, disrupt this, disrupt that. Our view is that we don't want to disrupt anything. You know, we just want to show up and make it painless to give you much better information about your rock mass. So kind of how we approach the, uh, and then if a company wants to take that information and disrupt its operations downstream at that point, that's their decision. We we just look at, we want to show up and make it as easy as possible to give them much higher resolution information very fast. I think that's a really interesting point you made about disruption, because I think there is this kind of motherhood statement by a lot of people that, oh, we just got to disrupt it. It's got to change completely. I think that kind of goes against the fact that a lot of people do invest a lot of time and resources into setting up you know, a system. And it would be hard for them, unless the value proposition that you're providing is so big that it would allow them to disrupt everything that they're doing right now. So the key really is to provide, you know, your value proposition has to be higher, but the pain to the customer customer has to be below a somewhat of a threshold. Yeah. Yep. No, we look at, you know, if somebody came into your business and said, we're going to disrupt this and it's going to lead to chaos, you know, you the door's that way. <laughs> you yeah, know, you, you, right. So if you can show me, we're going to give you, you know, much better information than you at your time and place of your choosing client, you can decide what you want to disrupt and change on a tempo that works for you. I think, you know, that's kind of the pitch on it. So it's, it's, it's a little less threatening to come in with something that's going to throw their operations into a tailspin. That's the last message we want to be giving people. People. We'll show up. The sensor is going to be easy. We'll set it up, get it working. The information will show up in your block model. You can decide what you want to do with it then, how you want to change your operation. So yeah, that's kind of how we approach that issue. I heard this, um, I forget from where, but I quite liked it. They said that if you're a technology provider to some industries, you have to figure out, is the proposition that you're giving them where you're asking them to just change a light bulb or are you asking them to change the wiring in their in their house? And if it's changing wiring, then your proposition better be really good because not everyone wants 
just rip open their walls and change all the wiring at every time. Yeah, no, it's it's a great analogy. Yeah, we very much want that to be a client decision and nothing that gets forced on them. They can decide when and how and if they want to do that. So I want to go back to a point that you made. So you do have this kind of uh, time frame that you have to engage clients and then get your product out to market. How do you cover that as a startup? You obviously have a, a financial need to stay afloat and you have to exist as a company. So how do you handle that challenge? Yeah, uh, a lot of juggling. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, jokes aside, it's the biggest challenge, I think, to getting new technology into this industry is that things cost a lot to develop and it takes a long time to get them deployed. We're really focused on the drill and blast space on production drills right now. And we see that it's about a 18 month to 24 month sales cycle. So, okay, wow. You know, and we think that's compressing a little bit, but the industry is slow for a lot of valid reasons about adopting new stuff. So you've got a plan for that sales cycle. And then that leads the other real big part of it. After knowing the sales cycle and knowing your burn rate and then your investors, you've got to have, and we've got great investors behind the company who are very much in it for the long haul to do radical new things for the industry. And we think that this, you know, real time, high resolution rock mass evaluation is the big, big thing that needs to come to the industry. And it's not fast and cheap to do. And our yeah. investors you know, know that. They knew that coming in and they've been just a terrific support for us as we you know, deal with the product development and yeah. sales cycles that we confront. So are your investors, I'm assuming they're private individuals or uh, you're not a publicly listed company? Yeah, it is. So we have two groups of investors. We've had two different rounds. We had our A round and, and that was largely done with individuals in Texas who knew the okay. team from our backgrounds in oil and gas. Great, great group out of Texas that did the initial round. And then our, our B round was led by um, Orica Mining Services, which was the one that told us about the opportunity in mining. They technically liked what we were doing uh, and that it felt it could you know, help with delivering better blast outcomes. They've been another great partner and they clearly know the mining industry. So they you know, you have, a, needless to say, a very good understanding of what these sales cycles and such look like. So between the two of them, um, we've got a group of investors that are very aligned with the challenges and opportunities in, in front of us. And you know they all knew it going in. So it's been a great mix, but that's one thing that you just, a startup company, you've got to get right. Your investors have got to know what they're, they've signed up for here. And we're, you know, we're yeah. fortunate in that regard. I mean, that's your bloodline. I mean, if you get that wrong, then yeah, oh, you're yeah. going to stop existing tomorrow. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's off with a lot of people's heads. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so can you comment a little bit about that you had to build your reputation in the industry? Is that where something like Orica really helps, where you have the leverage from them? Because otherwise, do you find that mining has this or you're an outsider, we're going to deal with you at arm's length rather than accept, yeah, like what you're saying? Yeah, the industry absolutely has that healthy skepticism about, yep. you know, new entrants and grand claims. They, you know, they really kind of prove it. You know, that's, we've run into that a lot. And again, we, that's very fair. The things that, uh, I guess, kind of three things that have really helped us kind of overcome that, Orica has been one of them. They clearly have great relationships in the industry. The second one has been uh, Microsoft. We're a partner company with Microsoft and Microsoft's been the great big surprise to us in a good way and that they have these legacy relationships with a lot of the large mining companies from selling office and you know, yep. windows and you know this sort of stuff so they've been able to open a lot of go-to-market avenues for us so okay. microsoft and orica have been the two credible companies in the industry that we've been able to you know largely come under their wing in a lot of ways on this and then really the third thing is we've done well technically and we've handled ourselves you know well on all of our engagements so i think that's kind of really vouched for the team that we 
we've done well on our own out there too. So doing those three things, and it all kind of leads to, again, then having some of those marketing data sets that people have released for us. It's allowed us to start getting good traction here that we're, you know, things are starting to move a lot quicker and uh, just busy keeping up with it all. But yeah, the the decision to pivot to mining is really, you know, you're being vindicated here. So we're all pleased about that. When we talk about the industry, we talk about it as this homogeneous blob, but it's not really this big companies, small companies, companies in the middle. There's geographical spread. You obviously work mostly in North America, but there's Australian-based companies that I assume behave differently than North American companies. So can you comment a little bit about how different, say, market sectors, not just size of companies, but geographically, how they differ a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it's a really good question. We've seen all sorts of variety in client types, geology, location, etc. You know, being a startup, we're keenly aware, you know, do one thing, do it well. Um, except we're doing a few things and trying to, but we're trying to limit what we're doing. Uh, you know, geographically, it's largely Canada and Australia, okay. iron ore and metallurgical coal. So you know, kind of four things, if you will. You know, the two rock types and the two locations. Uh, so we've largely been on that, and it's open pit in all locations. And what we've found is that the larger clients typically see more value in what we're doing, just with the the, the economies of scale that they have yep. on some of these large operations to know the rock mass has been really attractive to larger companies. We were kind of surprised by that. We thought we would have our first initial traction with smaller companies that were probably going to be a little bit more nimble in the decision making. Yeah, okay. But but the value has just turned out to be much more pronounced for, for larger companies. So mm-hmm. we've been focused on those with um, an open pit. But one of the things also with um, you know, a venture-backed startup is you know we will do another raise you know, you know, later this year sometime. You know, use of proceeds for that will be geographic expansion into other parts of the world then also to go underground and some of these things that we haven't done yet. So there's all sorts of variety out there that we see in the opportunities for it. As a technology provider, as a service provider in mining industry, I think there are people that you can bucket into two bins. If you look at software companies, you know, they open up one office and then all of a sudden they open up 10 offices and, and you know, they're trying to get that uh, out to as many people as possible. And there comes a point where technology development switches to more sales and marketing development. Yeah. No, yeah, it's great. We see that as another huge opportunity and also a, a parallel from our previous lives in oil and gas that is not lost on us, that with evaluating reservoirs, you can get hundreds of different types of measurements about the reservoir and all sorts of fluid and you know, fluid flow through porous media type properties that you know, it's unending the things you can measure. Um, I have no doubt this rock mass evaluation will be you know, similar over time. Mm-hmm. You're not there yet. Right now, we're collecting a handful of measurements on the rock mass. They're all high consequence and, and very valuable, but you know, your use of proceeds on a larger round at a later date to have a, a much more robust internal R&D department yep. to develop a lot of new measurements for the industry in addition to the expansion you know, underground. So it's um, a joke with some of our investors, but we could find good use for a lot of money <laughs> You know, because I think the opportunities are just huge out there for uh, for it largely to parallel what we've seen in E&P, exploration and production. We're, we're keenly aware that it's going to look pretty similar um, yeah. as this uh, as rock real-time rock mass evaluation matures in the mining sector. I mean, I think the, the beauty of you know a business like yours is that once you set up the infrastructure of getting the data from the drill rig to the client, that to me seems like the more challenging part, putting more and more sensors or, or what the sensors collect. I mean, in the world of Fitbits and all these sensors that we have, surely the sensor part will become easier and easier. It's just more the infrastructure that you have to set up around it. Couldn't agree with you more. 
more. It's that initial step of getting you know, sensors on the drill, collecting a few basic measurements that do matter and provide a lot of value. And when clients get comfortable with that, then it's, it's easy as you develop more measurements to start to put more and more, more things on there. Once you've kind of proved out the initial you know, hardware and software infrastructure and then value of the information that you provide. So we're getting towards the end of our interview. So I guess one of the questions that I want to ask is it's more personally built around you. Why did you want to go down the startup route? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to be totally honest, I don't know. <laughs> like no, like every startup yeah. founder, I don't know. No, no, I, I joke, but there really is. I mean, there's, I don't know, I've never heard of a startup that wound up doing what they planned to do. And that was very much us also. We thought it was an interesting opportunity to, you know, part of it is, you know, in a good way, I think in, in all early days, people in startups, you know, are, are a bunch of misfits, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, you're good misfits, but you, you don't like working for a large company. You don't like bureaucracy. You want to go quick. You want creativity. So you got to kind of have that natural wiring. And then, um, and, and we all have that, all of the, the key people, the early days, people within mm-hmm. data cloud are like that. So we just really decided we wanted to take a crack at it. And that was initially going to be helping people drill oil and gas wells more effectively. And then, you know, to here we are doing something that we never even thought of. And I think most all startups have that sort of story, but it was the, uh, you know, it was the desire to try and do something innovative, new, create. You just kind of got to have that sort of wiring, I think, as a team to, to go at it and then to be really attracted to the challenge of a large opportunity to do something like this. And, you know, several of us have been through, you know, startups and, mm-hmm other business opportunities before. So we, we really understood the value of having your good investors, aligning the investors with what yeah. the opportunity looks like. So we had a pretty good idea how to gear something, you know, correctly to go after it. So we felt that there's a great adage in um, VC investing that, you know, the three things that you look for in order are uh, are the team, the market, and then the product. A lot of people look at, oh, you have product, 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 but it's early days, you, know, you don't have the product. You, you, the general idea is you want to get a, a good resourceful team and then if the market is huge, right. they'll yeah. figure out the product is kind of the the thinking. And, and that's largely been our case, too. You know, it's, it's been a great team. This mining opportunity is giant. And uh, we finally have the product figured out. So <laughs> I think that's really interesting because I think that's an adage that's changing. You know, people always used to think that the product was king. But in reality, you know, a good team will make a average product and, and they might take it to market and do really well. But yeah, a bad team with the best product will still struggle in, in that sense. Uh, I think that's a really important point you make. Yeah. So it's definitely how you know, we're aware of that going into it. And I think this is uh, it's just a perfect example of where you need to embrace that sort of reasoning to approach a new opportunity like this. Yeah. Team, market, then product. So um, kind of how we've gone about it. So we always end our interview with two questions. One of them is, what is something that you think needs to die in mining? It can be a concept, an idea, a behavior that you think we need to jettison out of the industry. Oh, wow. This is uh, a lot of landmines around that (laughs) That question. I think that the biggest thing that should change that could really help bring new technology in is we're fortunate because a few of us have been through these sort of companies before and seen, so we've been able to again, get the gearing correct to survive the sales cycles and get through this. But if those sales cycles were quicker, if mining companies were able to just get new technology out on the bench to try it and to just more quickly, a lot of them are going to, you know, will be smoking craters and won't work out. And that's just yep. how it goes with new technology. But for the industry to really increase, to use one of its phrases, it's cycle times with, with new technology, 
would be hugely valuable. I know a lot of people out looking at opportunities in the industry that just can't crack these sales cycles to be able to get the contracts and paperwork in place. And, and there, there's all you know valid reasons for all of these things. But for the industry to have you know, some sort of you know, the companies to have you know an innovation group that could just more quickly get new things out there quick to test would be, I think, one of the best things that that the industry could could do for itself to make it you know much more open to people coming out and trying new creative things. There's just a lot of natural barriers around getting things deployed right now. I think that's a great point. And I, I guess I always find it really interesting that some of the bigger operations like R&R operations, like if you think about, you know, there's not really a time imperative for them to not experiment with new things. There's not really a cost imperative. I mean, there is a slight resource imperative that people have their jobs and, and they're busy with that. So like, you know, shoehorning something else in might be tough. But in reality, there wouldn't be a lot of barriers from that point of view. I think it's just a mindset that they fall in where they go, oh, it's going to be too time consuming or resource consuming. You know, like R&R could test $100 million opportunities a year and it wouldn't make any difference to their bottom line or really to their business. So they should be a little bit more bold about experimenting in some ways. Yeah, and I would think, you know, they are in a way kind of a captive market and it's a great, you know, second point to kind of bring up on it in that, you know, there's you know a limited number of iron ores, mines, you know, a limited number of markets to sell to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you can't really show up with a new mine or, you know, a new smelter tomorrow, you know, but for, you know, company X that has an iron ore mine, they they can improve the economics of that iron ore mine tremendously with new technologies. So I think that should internally, you know, kind of be the second thing that I'd like to see changed is, uh, you know, the quicker cycle times with new technology. And then from on high, just a conviction. And this is clearly something you can't force. They've just got to, you know, come to it on their own. Some of the, uh, you know, the bosses of these large mining companies that if they were to get, you know, new technology out there deployed, they could really, really increase, improve the economics of all of their operations. Have no doubt that that's possible. Yeah, that's right. So last question. Conversely, what is something that you think we should maintain in mining? Something that's fundamental to the industry that we should never forget? Safety is really the the one that, you know, unfortunately, you know, people do get injured. Mm -hmm. It's going to be unavoidable with, you know, the type of the operations that are conducted. But I do think the industry generally has a very good very good focus on uh, on safety, which is it'd be great to see that, you know, and I'm, I'm sure it will be maintained over the years and decades ahead. Well, I mean, I think the industry has a pretty checkered history from its safety performance. Uh, I think yeah, any slip back to the the good old days or the bad old days of how operations used to be run, I think it would just be a disaster for everyone. Couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, unfortunately, when you do have those disasters, it really drives home the impetus to do it better. And I think the industry is very committed to doing things better. That's it. Thanks a lot for joining us, Thor. That was great. All right. No, thanks for your time, Ahmed. Really appreciate it. Exploration Radio is brought to you by Steve and Ahmad. This episode was produced and edited by Ahmad. If you want to find out more about this podcast, check us out on explorationradio.com or follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. And we're even on Instagram. And if you like this podcast and want to help out, well, there's two things you can do for us. Give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And consider supporting us in producing more of this content. You can find the details on how to do that on our website at explorationradio.com support. Until next time, let's keep exploring.